Welcome to another episode of the weekly webinar series, brought to you by the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association, where our mission is to connect, educate, and elevate the performance and knowledge base for experts who work in the most expansive industry in North America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's DPHA Wednesday webinar. Today, our discussion panel is about how COVID is affecting supply chain. Um, I would like to introduce our wonderful, wonderful panelists today. First, we have Andrew Moss, Operations Manager of Advanced Plumbing in Michigan. Andrew is the Operations Manager at Advanced Plumbing and Heating Supply Company. As a member of the fourth generation of the 100-plus-year-old family business, Andrew's primary responsibility is to keep the business operating successfully in the short and long term. This broad range of responsibilities has gotten Andrew involved in nearly every part of the company. Before joining his family business, Andrew worked in real estate leasing at a Detroit-based real estate development firm and as an urban planner at a Michigan energy utility through the Challenge Detroit Fellowship. Andrew has a master's in urban planning from the University of Michigan and an MBA from Wayne State University. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Andrew is representing the dealer segment of our membership. Representing the representative segment of our membership is Tracy D'Antoni, principal at D'Antoni Sales Group. Tracy started her decorative plumbing and hardware and door hardware career as a sales associate at Willis Klein Showrooms in Louisville, Kentucky. She was promoted to showroom manager and assisted in selecting new and unique decorative hardware and plumbing at trade shows and buying group meetings. Tracy was recruited out of the showroom by a regional sales agency and worked there for two years before opening her own sales agency in April 2004, covering Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, and West Virginia. Over the years, Tracy has developed her training skills and works equally well with new hires and seasoned showroom professionals. Thank you for joining us, Tracy. Hi, everybody. And last but certainly not least, representing the manufacturer segment of our membership is Todd Jacoby, Senior Director of Manufacturing for Delta Fawcett Company. Uh, uh, Todd has been in this position since 2005. He is responsible for the operational strategy of Delta Fawcett's domestic manufacturing footprint. Todd joined Delta in 1993 as a manufacturing engineer and has held positions of increasing responsibility in operations, including, wait for this list, ready? Process engineer, manager production planning, manager materials, plant manager, and most recently, director of manufacturing. In addition to his years of experience, Todd has earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Mechanical Engineering Technology from Purdue University and an MBA from Washington University in St. Louis. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us, Todd. I'm pretty excited about this panel here. And for those that don't know me, since I know we have a lot of new people on today, I'm Kimberly Glazer. I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing, Marketing and Sales for the Decorative Plumbing and Hardware Association. So I'm so excited to have you all with us today. Describes your industry segment. We always find it very interesting to see who we have um, on the call and see if we can tailor our discussion in any way based on, based on who's here. All right. So today, about half of you are representatives. Wow. 38% manufacturer, 9% dealer. 
and 2% others. So thank you guys so much for joining us. All right. Uh, the home building industry is experiencing a surge not seen in decades. COVID has kept people stuck in their homes, making them realize change is needed. Whether it's remodeling or moving, supply just can't keep up with the demand. This has greatly affected our industry as kitchens and baths are still the hottest rooms uh, in the home to remodel. Today, we're gonna to discuss how COVID has affected supply chain, what our member segments have done to combat the issues, and how we see the next six to 12 months unfolding. So we all have the same goal, everyone here today, making the end user happy. Some of us have direct ability to do that, some indirect. So industry supply chain issues have hit each of our segments in different ways, and we're all doing what we can to attain this goal. I'd like to start at the top of our industry supply chain, the manufacturer. I've experienced firsthand with my own bathroom that uh, Rizzo and Delta lead times are longer than they've been in the past. Todd, can you please talk to us a little bit about the issues you've been having and what Delta Faucet Company has done to mitigate the circumstances of this current environment? Uh, thanks, Kimberly. I sure can do that. Um, first of all, thanks to everybody for attending. And I appreciate everybody's patience as we work through just a unprecedented, seems to be an overused word nowadays, but certainly is that. And I appreciate everybody's patience and support for each other, you know, as we handle this, this fantastic time really for our industry. So um, to, to answer your question, though, I kind of need to talk about it in multiple segments that, that has been affecting us. And then I'll talk a little bit about uh, kind of that mitigation piece. Um, you know, what, what are we doing about it? Um, I could literally talk all day about the different segments, it seems, that we've been dealing with, but I'll try to break it down into really first the, the true COVID impacts, both on our logistics uh, pieces and uh, on our capacity overall. So first of all, on the logistics side, I want to make, to make sure everybody understands that Delta Faucet is a, um, a manufacturer that relies on a global supply chain. So we source the best materials from all over the world. Um, you know, from, from suppliers. Um, and it has been a tremendous impact on us from the uh, inbound containers uh, into port, especially on the West Coast, and the congestion, the unprecedented congestion that's happened there. Um, so we have seen tremendous backlog of getting material, you know, brought into the U.S. and then ultimately to our point of manufacture uh, and distribution. Just as an example, um, we've seen data that would suggest that ports of entry have experienced nine consecutive months of record inbound shipments. And that's happening at the same time their labor is being impacted significantly by COVID restrictions. Um, so that's, that's one part of it. When, when material comes in also, it is, it takes certain equipment to get material unloaded and brought to again, point of manufacturer distribution. Well, that equipment has also been scarce because of you know, labor constraints in the logistics market to get material turned around, you know, to get your product where it needs to be. Um, even rail lines have been congested and are not turning around their equipment fast enough. Um, and then getting containers back to the points of, of uh, 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 producers around the world is also uh, in short supply. So all those things really add up um, to significant delays in getting material to what we would normally um, expect. And those are things I didn't even, you know, think of some of those aspects. It, it is 
when you think supply chain, it's just not making a part and getting it to a manufacturer distribution point. There are many other steps in the process. And it's important to understand, I think everybody heard about the, the ever given issue in the Suez Canal as well. Just, just think of the backlog that that's created as well. And, and you know, on the West Coast, East Coast, all of those things have added up to create delays. I think some of my Amazon packages were on that. <laughs> it must have been. The, the other piece, though, too, is you, both on the um, on our on our domestic side from logistics, we have seen tremendous capacity constraint on uh, carriers um, in the U.S. So even from our domestic suppliers getting product to us has been very constrained. And then when we do get product manufactured and we need to ship product out, um, we have seen products sit on our docks for several days at a time sometimes because we can't get outbound carriers. So the logistics piece is a significant constraint right now and has added uh, to the lead time to get product um, into us and then out to our customers. Um, the second piece really is around the capacity constraints that we're experiencing. There's a number of reasons driving that. One is health and safety protocols. And I think everybody's familiar with what any manufacturer um, has had to do to make sure that we are keeping our people healthy and safe. And that is our first priority is to keep our people healthy and safe. So we had to put a number of steps uh, in place to, to ensure that. Um, and that's reduced output a little bit, although we work continuously to try to close those gaps. Um, suppliers, they're having to do the same thing. Um, demand, you know, what I'm going to talk about here in a second has grown tremendously. And so they're constrained as well. Um, then, then our own manufacturing, we, we have, um, had a, a lot of difficulty getting all the people that we need to meet demand in house. Um, and, you know, you, you, uh, you know, we experience COVID cases just like, you know, it's going around the country. We have to do the right things to quarantine our people. And when you do that, that reduces the labor and, that's something we've been, we've been experiencing over the last several months. And then just talking about labor as well, it's, it's really important for everybody to understand how tight the labor markets are right now. I know there's a, there seems to be a real dichotomy out there now about that, but in the markets where we're operating, you know, labor is tight and, you know, costs really are increasing for labor. And I mentioned freight before, you know, the costs are tough out there for, you know, those pieces of the supply chain. Um, so, so that's just a little bit on the logistics of COVID impact. Todd, can I interrupt for a second? Certainly. Um, I want to I want to branch out on something you just said about labor shortage, and don't forget where you were because I want to come back to what you're talking about. Um, but I want to bring Andrew in. I know that a lot of our showrooms, a lot of our dealer members, have experienced the labor shortage from a sales staff perspective. Andrew, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, um, this has been a really interesting year. Um, you know, right now, I mean, we're sitting in mid-May of 2021. I have 10 open positions um, across my two locations. Um, bringing sales staff in, unfortunately, if you lose somebody, we lost a few people during COVID to, you know, luckily everyone was healthy, but they left the company. And it's not like you can just go find someone off the street and bring them in and say, okay, start selling out of our showroom. Um, I think we all know it takes months if not years to learn the industry learn the product and be able to stand on your own in front of customers so we're doing our best to fill the holes we have but every person you lose you invested thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours into uh, to get them up to speed and it's it's an ongoing struggle for us it's thank god we have dpha to start that education and help us with it but Woo-hoo, nice plug <laughs> 
Love it. Love it. And Tracy, have you seen, what have you seen from labor shortage, both staff and, and just, uh, you know, even when it comes to people looking for plumbers and electricians and stuff? So there's kind of a threefold to what Todd said about, you know, manufacturing, there's not enough people in the manufacturing facilities, or if there are, they're spaced out. It takes, you know, twice as long to make the same product. So that's an issue. In the showrooms, yes, there are new people. And so there have been some training um, issues. So, you know, you want to go in and train people, but it's, it's a very, you have to be careful about how you do that in that Reps have been in certain main, certain um, showrooms have extremely limited contact with um, showroom people. And the way that we've done it in the past where you go in and you do, you know, a morning meeting, that seems to have changed a little bit. Um, I, I'm seeing that happening more, doing more in-person trainings. And I think it's my personal opinion is that in-person is a lot more effective than doing a Zoom training, especially with a new person. because. And we've said this in this business time and time again, you really buy from somebody and you, you, you know, especially when you're trying to train people kind of like right now, and I can see you all, but I can't see the people out. And that's some of that interaction is very important. I'll add on to that too, that you consider workforce in the, in our, in our manufacturing facilities, even at our suppliers, it's the same issue where, you really learn best by seeing and watching and being close to a person. And when you have social distancing guidelines in place, it's very difficult to do that training effectively. Well, and you're trying to train somebody on a product and I want to, I want to show, you know, I want to train people, but I also want to sell my product. I want to show why product A and product B are different. And you have to, you, some of it's a tactile thing. You have to touch them and, there's that and doing that, you know, I can go, oh, I have this. It's just not quite as effective. Absolutely. All right, Todd, I, I interrupted you before. I'm you, know, you know, there are a lot of issues. There's one, one other I'll just mention. Um, and this goes all the way back to February when we had the winter storms in Texas. Essentially, those storms are still having a ripple effect through the supply chain. Not only did we lose um, you know, resin supplies that go into some of our products, but there were utility interruptions where gas supply is, is limited. Um, and uh, we also had impacts back to the carriers. There, there were weeks where carrier capacity was just overwhelmed because all of the lost capacity, both from a production or a, or a supply standpoint and then a distribution standpoint. And that has ripple effects that takes weeks and months to then resolve. So it's just important for everybody to understand that not only do you deal with a pandemic, then you deal with a once in a several generations weather events and everything that goes along with that. And it just creates this um, extension that we're all feeling now in the supply chain. Yeah, Mother Nature certainly is not happy with us. That's for sure. Somebody. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you guys. That was a great start to this conversation. Um, so Tracy, you talked about some of the issues you're seeing. Um, as a rep, you're often the messenger, the bearer of bad news, that middleman. So how are you handling this, these issues from a rep perspective? So I haven't had really and truly, I, I guess my customers are doing a better job than 
early on is really setting a cust- the customer's expectations. Here's how long it's going to be. When I say it's going to be, you know, 10 weeks, I don't mean it's going to be three weeks. I mean, it's going to be 10 weeks. And I've had vendors that have had extended lead times um, and experiencing some of that even now due to, you know, once again, it's a snowball effect. Things are catching up. Things are busy, still not fully staffed, all of those things. But it's, I think it's all in setting the customer's expectation and really from the very beginning, being honest with the customer about how long things are going to take. And that there could be a change, that what you tell them right now is not written in stone. And, you know, it, we call them estimated delivery dates for a reason. And I think the, the biggest, you know, we, we all talk about the Amazon effect. And I think the good thing is, is Amazon is experiencing that now, too. So two-day delivery is not really two days anymore. It could be three days. It could be seven days. So I'm hoping that that the end users are, um, you know, carrying that all the way through about this is, you know, this is going to take longer than I thought it was going to and being prepared for that. Well, that brings us really just right, just puts that on a tray for Andrew. (laughs) So showrooms are the link in the train that are often responsible, um, link in the chain that are often responsible for the ultimate goal of making the customer happy. So Andrew, you're definitely feeling the brunt of these issues with, you know, the unhappy Karens of the world. Um, How are you handling the customer's expectations? Um, It's been kind of an interesting mix. Some people understand it. You know, some people are out there and they're working with builders and they're trying to get a washing machine or dryer and they're being told it's four months out or they're trying to get a new car and it's months out. There are some people who recognize this is a global problem and it's not just their plumbing project that's delayed. Um, so those customers are great. We do have some customers who kind, of, who kind of come in and they expect everything to be in stock. They're coming at the last minute in their project. Their builder wasn't managing it properly. And they say, yeah, I need everything in two weeks because I have the plumber doing all the finished plumbing. Oh, and the valves are already in the wall, but I don't know what manufacturer the valves are from. Um, So we're sitting here in a situation where historically we could have said, all right, we can accommodate you in some way. Where now we're saying we're going to do the best we can with what we got. One thing we're doing with almost all of our customers is saying, order it sooner. We are happy to hold product a little bit longer if we need to. We're not going to charge you for it. Let's get it in. Let's have it sitting here. Let's have it you know, ready to go for you. We're also telling all of our designers and builders that if you want, if you're going into a project, tell them to come out here and quote the whole thing out before they even sign anything with you. Get that down on paper before, because the last thing you want to do is have them sign it, think I'm all good, go with their builder, it starts, and then six months later, they're ordering material that they need in a month or two. The last thing is just kind of being honest about where our industry's always been. There are some manufacturers out there who are always four, six, eight weeks out, especially once you get into some of these designer finishes. You get into a unique product, you have a longer lead time. So we're kind of, we've learned to set that expectation, you know, years ago by telling people you want something no one else has, you're not going to find it in stock. So setting that type of style expectation has been really helpful as well. That's fantastic. Um, Todd, we have a question for you. Um, can you speak to the errors happening in supply chain? Um, one of our, our showrooms has 
mentions that they are experiencing an above average amount of errors. Uh oh, when I you say errors, I would assume that means like shipping errors or uh, wrong, wrong product. From my experience, I would say wrong product in the box, something missing from the box. Uh, yeah, I think that extends, you know, throughout the supply chain where those opportunities for errors come on board. You know, I, we know we have our opportunities. I've talked a lot about onboarding new people. Tracy made light of that and how difficult it is to bring people on board. I can tell you that we always train to high standards of quality that we audit regularly. But when you are producing that much product, trying to meet that much demand uh, across so much of the breadth of product, things are things are going to happen from time to time that we have to go back and do our continuous improvement on to, to try to capture. We're also seeing more issues on the freight side. I mentioned as well that um, it's it's hard to come by outbound carriers from time to time. I see Andrew's shaking his head there. Product comes in and it has been um, you know tampered with. Um, I'm sure they're trying to get more freight on trucks to to reduce their amount of shipments to try to get more product out. You know we know that happens, uh, but I'll, but I'll own up to that that uh, a lot of what happens with us. We bring out a lot of new people. We're trying to get as much product out. I can tell you, we are never going to reduce our quality standards nor the, the practices that we have in place, but it puts a lot of pressure on us to make sure that we continue to escalate what we can to make sure that we're shipping good product to avoid defects. That's great. I just got a text I have to tell you. It says, no drain hole in the tub. Wow. <laughs> I'm feeling I know this tub that was, um, and they're not on this call today. Um, but wow, that um, that just blew me away. I'm sorry. We'll go on to the next question. I don't think that came from us, right? So no, no, you're safe on that one. Okay. Um, Tracy, I've heard many reps say that they are spending a lot more time chasing products mm-hmm. um, and putting out fires. That that has become so much yeah. a much bigger part of their job. Um, what has been your experience with that? So I would completely agree with that. And part of it is back to what the whole labor thing. So inside salespeople, customer service people are overwhelmed. Um, they're shorthanded. Um, they are, maybe you have new, more inexperienced people. So customers, showrooms reach out to the rep to, because Sometimes we can get things done maybe a little quicker. We know, you know, we know a guy. Um, But yes, and so there is a lot of that. And, you know, I always tell my showrooms or I try to let them, you know, if you need help, reach out to me. Don't let it become a huge fire that it's a crisis. Let's get it done. You know, getting in front of it, I'd rather be proactive than reactive. And yes, there has been a lot of, um, I've talked to some homeowners and sometimes it's just, they just need to hear a different voice or they just need to vent. And it's amazing the number of times that it's not just one product, it's the whole project. And some, yeah, I've listened to people that, or I've listened to people when it's not even my, the, something I sell, they just need someone to vent to. And I'm like, I'm fine with that. As long as you have a glass of wine in your hand, because I would need a glass of wine in my hand for that. No, that's that's after five o'clock. <laughs> and and some days it's a martini. So yes, <laughs> that's great. Um, Todd, 
Given all the issues right now, what can reps and dealers do to ease the situation for manufacturers? In other words, in Jay's words, help us help you. Uh, Jay planted that question, right? I think I'm going to build off of what uh, Tracy and Andrew have already talked about a little bit. Um, one is, and both of these are great ideas, right? Setting expectations, you know, with the customers, you know, that is a perfect thing to do to have them understand, you know, what are the lead times in the industry right now and for the specific products that you're looking at. And then I think what Andrew said, I would double down on that is order it sooner. I, I think that is exactly what needs to happen. Be more, be proactive with your customer base to try to work with them to identify the product that you need to understand the lead times that we're experiencing in the market. I think those are, those are perfect things that we need to see more of, um, in the market. Um, I, I, I couldn't agree more to, to that direction. Great. Um, Andrew and Teresa, is there anything you guys want to add that maybe the different segments could could help you guys with? Right. So I try to, so sometimes it's the, the information. Um, I think Todd earlier was talking about, you know, enough information. I think there's, there's kind of become a problem with over information overload to the showrooms. Showroom people are getting so many emails about lead times and all that sometimes it gets lost. The message gets lost. And I'm not sure. I wish I had a really great way to, um, to combat that. But, you know, sometimes I'll just text, which is not my favorite way of communicating, but I would rather email. So I know that it's at least gone out to, you know, a fairly wide base of people. If if there's going to be a lead time change, if something is going from, let's say you're going from three days to five weeks, I want to make sure that they know that up front. So once again, you set the expectation that it's going to be this long. And answer, I'm going to let you answer that, but have, have you guys increased your stock on your most popular items to try to kind of help even things out? Uh, we've tried to. We've definitely placed orders for a lot more of our higher moving items, higher volume items, and we're getting things as they come in. But I think more than anything, and it kind of gets to how we can help our our manufacturers and our reps, we're taking a really good look at what we're actually selling and what we're not. And the things that we're bringing in big stock on, we're bringing in six, eight months worth of stock on, we're cutting back our orders and saying, you know what, we really only need a a handful of this. So we'll take less here, but we need more on this side. Um, Because every market's going to sell a little bit different product. Every showroom is going to be a little different. And you probably have a limited amount of warehousing space. You know, we all generally stuck to what we have the capacity for. Exactly. So it is It is bringing out some best practices that I think we all should have been doing before, but now especially just because we're we're trying to get what we can get. So yeah, definitely doing, you know, definitely looking at our stock levels. Um, but just to help manufacturers, we're also telling our customers, you know, be patient. When you place an order through us, it takes us a day or two to get that entered. It takes the manufacturer a day or two to get it entered. So if you're calling us and then calling, we have some calling straight to the manufacturer to check on an order. We're telling them if you're calling the day after, it's not going to be there. They're going to have no clue what you're talking about. And everyone's just going to get frustrated chasing an order that hasn't gone anywhere yet. So patience is, is the biggest thing we all need all the way around. 
So Andrew, with that, there, we have a question um, from a manufacturer with all the supply chain issues and manufacturing manufacturer shortages. Are the wholesalers, and since you're the one on the call, you're getting the question. Um, are you committing to stocking more, becoming less dependent on manufacturer inventory, and then pushing those items to your clientele? Yeah, um, we we used to be able to call up manufacturer and just ask if they had it in stock and know we would get it. Um, there have been a few times we've called up and heard, oh yeah, we have great stock. And by the time the PO goes in three days later, there's 400 back ordered. So we really are trying to bring in our, our fast moving products at much higher volume. Um, but you know, we're also kind of being honest with customers about the situation changes daily. A manufacturer might have plenty of product, but if you have a COVID outbreak at a factory and they can't get the product out, it doesn't matter how many they have. So everything's a moving target. We have to keep open lines of communication between us and the manufacturer and us and our customer and our reps. Um, but whatever your expectations are, we're telling people add a couple of weeks because you never know what's going to happen with COVID. Well, that leads us really into, into talking about customer expectations. And I'll, I'll go back to some other questions that I have in a minute. But first, I want to talk about customer expectations because you guys have each mentioned it a little bit. So I want to like just take care of this now. So um, each of you has a different customer, but we all have expectations. And again, like I said at the beginning, our goal is all to appease the end user, right? Make that end user happy. So, Andrew, how uh, can you give us some more details on how you're handling the expectations of not only the homeowners, but designers and plumbers as well, you know, kind of all of your customers? Yeah. Um, so on the designer and builder level, uh, we've seen a shift in the last year, and I, I got to imagine other people are feeling it. People are doing higher end projects um, for whatever reason in the last year, whether it's, you know, not traveling, being home all the time, people are committing to their bathrooms and kitchens more than I think they would have in a normal year. So the first thing we're telling our builders and designers is you're getting more, you're getting higher end product, expect to wait a little longer for it than your standard stock product. And that's been incredibly helpful. Um, just managing it right off the bat of, you, again, you want something unique, it's not going to be sitting on a shelf somewhere. The second part of it is really just teeing up every homeowner Every designer, every customer who walks in the door with the question, do you need to walk out with this today? And if the answer is yes, that takes us down to one or two finishes, two or three manufacturers, and a handful of lines. And that's really what you're going to be choosing from. We've also started giving out loaner product a little bit more than we have in the past. If we have something in a special finish we can't get in, here's something temporary that'll just tide you over for the month, two months, three months until you get what you really need. Uh, not an ideal solution, but it enables people to enjoy their renovations, enjoy their homes without having to you know, wait on one thing or two things. So it's just being honest, being honest with our customers, with ourselves. And in some cases, with some manufacturers, just saying, we honestly have no idea when we're getting this product. Hopefully soon, but I can't, I can't guarantee anything. Now, I know you and I have spoken and I know you guys are busy beyond belief. And I know every, every showroom I talk to is busy beyond belief. Um, do you think you might be losing some prospective uh, clients due to the accelerated demand right now? Or do you think the majority of them are being understanding and not searching elsewhere? 
we are definitely losing some sales. Um, I know a few right off the top of my head where we lost either part or a wholesale because someone online or someone in another state had the product they were looking for on a shelf. and We didn't. Um, it's, I, that's the name of, that's really the name of the game today, but let's be real. Amazon's been around selling product in our industry for a decade. So it wasn't like this was a new thing. It's just been accelerated significantly over the last year. Makes sense. Tracy, what are you doing to handle the expectations of the showrooms that you call on um, and any designers or, or trades people that you work with directly in your market? You know, I think the same kind of thing that Andrew says is really setting the expectation level as, um, you know, lead times, finishes, here's, you know, here's what it's really going to take. And, and I've always been, I had this discussion this morning, I've always been an under-promise, over-deliver kind of, and I really live by, try to live by that. It, it's hard to do sometimes, and I try to instill that um, in some showrooms because I think it's, then you look like a rock star, you know, but I've also had it where, you know, things, sometimes you can get, that can backfire on you because you can lose sales because you say it's going to take X amount of time which is a realistic timeline. And I think sometimes you have to be prepared to lose the sale. I mean, so, you know, I've said to people, if you tell somebody, you know, it's going to be six weeks and it's really going to be eight or 10 weeks, do you want to lose the sale now? Or do you want to lose the sale in 10 weeks and, and have that person screaming at you? And I've seen- And lose every future sale from that person because you weren't trustworthy. And I've seen people screaming in showrooms. I saw, and this is a true story. I was in a showroom and I watched a um, contractor yelling at a showroom manager because his refrigerator was still going to be another month. And she said, I can't get an answer from GE. I can't, oh, sorry. I can't get an answer from the manufacturer. Um, but it was, I guess it's that those kind of things that really made a huge impression on me. I'm like, let's set those. Once again, it's all about setting the expectations. And I try to be a resource for my customers um, as much as possible, even if it's not my product. If somebody says, hey, do you know if somebody has, if you don't have it, do you know somebody who might have something? Yes. Now, I expect that's going to pay me back someday, but so. We have a comment um, from one of our attendees that the their concern is um, the hot for high end is Paragold and Wayfair that they seem to be getting product faster than the showrooms. Um, so I that's that's tough and a bit disturbing, um, but I think it goes along with the Amazon effect, right? Um, Todd. How is Delta handling the expectations of your dealers? I think we need to talk about the uh, customer supply chain here to really answer that. We rely a lot on our internal customer solutions team to take the information we feed them to feed through the customer supply chain to kind of understand how to set expectations. And our customer solutions team is you know, I'm sure they feel the frustration that, that many out there uh, feel about the changing nature of our, of our due dates just because of how much there is a change in the supply chain. Um, but they're kind of bearing the brunt of it internally. They're the, they, though, are working very closely with our rep network 
Uh, by the way, we feel like our rep network is the best there is. And, you know, when we feed information to the customer solutions team, you know, we try to set expectations with our rep network then about how to go out and communicate that to our, to our direct customers. We know we have opportunities um, to improve that because, like I said, it, it, there's just so much dynamics. Uh, you know, Tracy, I love what you said, you know, try to under-promise, over-deliver. We'd all like to do that, but it seems like far too many times recently we have gotten into a situation where we felt comfortable communicating something and then things happen like Texas weather storms and supply chain issues. And now you're like, okay, well, that didn't turn out like we said. Well, we, we don't want to look like that. And I can tell you that we we make every effort to try to um, set those expectations that sometimes things have fallen through the cracks and you know we've suffered the consequences for it. But the, the main thing we're trying to do is channel information to our customer solutions team, through our network, to the customers. And again, I love the idea of trying to make sure people are patient and honest about it. And, and that's what we're trying to be as well. So uh, I appreciate everybody's honesty and uh, patience you know, as we, we try to meet you know, the unprecedented demand that's out there. So I have, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Todd. I have a, a very good but slightly controversial question in the Q&A. And the way I am going to, um, I'm not going to have any of the panelists answer it. I'm going to have every, I'm going to have the panelists as well as the attendees answer this. And I'm doing this anonymously. So the question is, the manufacturers fulfill orders to larger online dealers, such as Ferguson slash Bill, before fulfilling independent showrooms. So I'm going to launch this poll that if you are a manufacturer, if you could answer it, it's anonymous. I selected anonymous. So I won't even know, Zoom won't even know who answered which way. So you won't be thrown into the fire if you answer yes. Because hmm. it's not fair for me to just ask Tom that. <laughs> I'd like Todd to, to be my friend. <laughs> hey, we're, we're talking honesty and transparency here on the uh, exactly, and that's why I clicked the button for anonymous. Sure. All right, um, I'm going to give just one more second for this. So, answer if you're going to answer. And all right, ready for this? Forty-eight percent said no. They do not. 24% said yes, and 27% said sometimes. So the person who asked the question was actually anonymous as well. So I don't even know who asked the question. But I think that that is, I don't know. I th I'm a little surprised. I didn't think as many manufacturers did fulfill the orders to those larger online dealers before independent showrooms. That that I'm surprised that's as high as it is. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on those results? Personally, I'm not all that surprised. That kind of mirrors the experience we've been having in the showroom. Um, you know, we've had being transparent, we've strained a couple of relationships with manufacturers and reps because it's we've had some POs sitting out there for months and months that we're not able to get. And all of a sudden, we have a customer walk in and say, oh, I just bought this at Home Depot, but it's not working. Can you warranty it? And we're sitting here saying, well, we haven't seen one of these in six months. So interesting you're, you're getting these. But, you know, I think it's probably, 
I would have guessed 50-50. So sounds about right. Yep. All right. Very interesting. All right. I want to go back. Oh, hang on. I have another question here. Okay. So someone did say often the contract with the larger companies requires that. So that's fair. That's something that I hadn't thought of. So thank you. Thank you for that. But that makes sense. Um, all right. I want to go back and talk about price increases because this has been something that, I mean, look at it. That was a really deep sigh. Really? <laughs> and um, this has been such a big issue that we actually have next month, a dealer only round table about pricing and people and displaying pricing in showrooms and dealing with all these price increases. Um, so it seems that many manufacturers have been forced to increase prices more than once or twice since COVID. You know, we're all used to once a year, sometimes twice a year, if there's a material shortage. And, um, but this is like, you know, some manufacturers have had, you know, four or five, six price increases in the last year. And we understand why supply chain, right? Um, so Todd, can you talk to us about the increases Delta has incurred and how you've handled passing that on to your customers? Sure. So we have definitely seen inflation in raw materials, right? Zinc, copper, um, resins, it's basic supply and demand. When you cannot get materials and your, your, um, your supplier, your supply base is limited, there's more leverage on the supply side, you know, to be able to, to drive price. Um, we have seen that. And even on the freight side, I didn't get a chance to talk about it earlier when, when I was going through the issues, but, um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty clear that, um, well, just it, it's going to have to be something that we deal with. So we, we actually had a price increase back in March. We're going to have another price increase probably, uh, in Q3 sometime because of these, um, raw material prices. The, the logistics, which I mentioned with the mitigation around air freight, right? We're trying, everybody's trying to air freight things in versus the containers that I mentioned. Well, when everybody tries to air freight, then you're going to pay competitive or premium prices to try to get around any of the other congestion, um, or even next day air type activities domestically. That kind of, um, requirements try to meet supply chain, um, and customer demands is, is driving price. So, like I said, we've had a price increase earlier in the year, and we will have one um, in Q3. I can tell you, though, that before we do that, you know, we've got a pretty extensive um, um, number of resources within supply chain. You know, Masco, our parent company, has a lot of resources that can help us. We do a lot of activities to try to mitigate any kind of price increase that we would pass on, you know, through continuous improvement. Um, but there, there comes a time where because of all the things you, we're trying to do to, you know, reduce lead time, get product into the market, you know, those price increases um, happen through the supply chain that ultimately do have to get passed on. So we're, we're experiencing that for sure. And Todd, it looks like you've got one coming in July. Yes. That's what uh, someone just chatted to us. Yeah, Q3. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, Tracy, how are you handling the difficult conversations with your customers around the price increases? I don't think it's a difficult conversation. Okay. I mean, it's, it's the nature of what's going on. And, you know, to Todd's point, it is, there's limited materials. The price is going up. I mean, 
All you have to do is walk out the door, look at the price of gas. I mean, just something that you use every single day. Well, most people do. Um, those kind of things. And to think that that doesn't just happen. And everybody's talked about lumber prices and how they have gone up. I can't even tell you. Close to 400%, I believe. Well, and so now I saw something yesterday that um, for the first, like for the last five days, lumber futures have finally started to drop. So that could be an interesting, um, and you know, an interesting precursor to what's going to happen. But I think it is, it's not being afraid of having the conversation. Not that it's not a hard conversation. Maybe that was, that came across the wrong way. I think it's, it's being that this is the realistic, this is going to happen and it's going to cost more. And we, you know, always before you have a price increase, you see it kind of a, a push and maybe it's, you know, to Andrew's point, maybe it'll help people to order things earlier rather than later. So I, I'm going to look at it as a, yes, it's a hard thing to, to talk about, but it's, it's part of doing business. Use it as a closing tool for the sales. Um, we do have a comment here that the price increases that manufacturers are passing on are not even close to the total increased expenses. So that's also something for all of us to keep in mind. Very important to keep in mind. Um, Andrew, how are you handling these price increases? Are you just in general? <laughs> so you mentioned one way. Um, we're using price increases as a closing tool. Uh, emailing customers who have quotes that are kind of on the cusp and saying, hey, you know, after this weekend, the price is going to go up from the manufacturer. We can't control that. So if you put down your deposit today, we'll get it all ordered at the lower price. Um, some customers don't love that, but, you know, it kind of is the case. The other thing we're doing is we're just being, again, fully transparent. We're also on the pipe valve and fitting side of the industry. So we're seeing copper and PVC. We're seeing those commodity increases too. Um, I have one manufacturer right now where I got a price increase May 1st. I have the file for June 1st and July 1st already. So we're we're experiencing a crazy amount of price increases, especially on that side. But even on the decorative side, it's, you know, just telling customers, order it in advance, order it early. The prices are subject to change if you don't get these things ordered. Because if we have to pay more for it from the manufacturer, we can't always eat that cost. Uh, there are some cases where we are eating the cost, unfortunately. Um, you know, just we order a product in, it either takes too long or we can't get it ordered quite in time. Um, and we're dedicating more resources to making sure that we're getting on top of our pricing, but like like we've never had to. Uh, you know, Friday afternoons used to be a, a slowdown day for purchasing. Now they're very much a speed up day. Make sure we get everything in before the Monday. Um, but, you know, it's... Again, it's being honest, use as a closing tool, um, and order it early. Prices, the way I, I talk to customers is prices are never going back down. You raise the price on a product, expect them to stay there. If you're holding off on a price of a faucet going down, you're going to be disappointed. I do remember, though, um, I don't remember what year it was, but the last, the last time around when we had these price increases... Um, I think it was material shortage, something with um, brass or something. And we got a lot of price increases in a row. There were many manufacturers that did lower the prices again. Um, they they gave like temporary, like they didn't even release new price lists. It was like this month, it's we're adding 10% to all orders. And then it did go back. So 
who knows, maybe wishful thinking. My crystal ball, I think, is a little cloudier than yours. <laughs> it might be. I, I don't know. But we are going to talk about the crystal ball because we've got about 10 minutes left. So if you guys, um, attendees, if you want to ask questions, please put them in the Q&A. I've got one final question to ask everyone and or to ask the panelists. And then the panelists, I think, might have some questions for each other. So um, we're going to take out our crystal ball. Going to take it out. Shine it up. Todd, what does the rest of 2021 look like? We already know there's going to be another price increase. Um, well, what does it look like at Delta Faucet Company? And can you look into 2022? Is there any vision into 2022? Yeah, so first and foremost, the backlog is is big enough right now. And um, the, the near-term demand looks strong enough where it's still going to be extended lead times well to, towards the end of the year. You know, talk about being honest and transparent. That's... That's the way things are, are trending right now. Some of the supply chain struggles that we're having, they're not necessarily going to be resolved you know, overnight. Uh, there's no silver bullet out there. Everybody's chasing some of the same elements and trying to resolve them. So we just have to be honest with each other that it is going to be, it, it's, the demand's going to remain strong and we're going to have enough backlog out of the manufacturers to, to carry us well towards the end of the year. 2022, uh, back to Andrew's uh, cloudy crystal ball. Um, that's a little tougher to predict. Even this summer, right? Everybody's going to, depending on what happens to um, CDC guidelines, our, um, mandates could change. Everybody wants to go out and travel and vacation, and somehow the remodel of the kitchen takes a back seat. Maybe that sees a little bit of dip in the short term, but it's still, there's still a lot of market fundamentals out there that are driving strong demand. But getting into 2022, there's just too many issues with capacity and supply chain. The constraints, just think about the things that we dealt with this year regarding weather, the pandemic, obviously, the labor availability. Just think about the uncertainty that could happen into next year as well. We've got holiday season coming up also. That could have some impacts on the you know, container availabilities and just moving freight around the country. It's going to continue to, to struggle, I think, through this year, and but next year is still a little tough um, to, to predict. Um, just because of the economy, what could happen there. There's a lot to talk about inflation. Um, we're going to have to see how that plays out. My crystal ball is not very uh, clear into 2022 yet. All right. What about you, Tracy? How's your crystal ball looking? So I agree with Todd. The end, through the end of the year is going to be rocking and rolling. Um, I think that it's. You know, there's going to be people are going to start traveling again. So there's going to be less, you know, to that point, less disposable income. Although I really think that that a lot of people have already committed to a project, to a home project. And and because of well, which we didn't even talk about. So in supply chain. So what about the housing shortage? So we didn't even I mean, so you can't even if you wanted to sell, I mean, sell your house and move somewhere, you're going to pay a premium price for that. So I think kind of like early, earlier in the 2000s when you know people hunkered down, remodeled, did all that, that still is going to be big. 2022 is going to be interesting. It's going to be, I, it's going to be, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really want to it's say it. You know what? It's going to be one of those things when, you know, we have to do projections 
for a number of reasons. But I tell you what, I think I thought doing them this past fall was tough. I think it's going to be harder to do them 2021 for 2022. Yeah, I can see that. Andrew, what about your crystal ball? Um, I, you know, I agree with Todd and Tracy. I think from now to the end of the year, we're going to kind of be the same thing as we've been for the last year. Um, the orders aren't slowing down from our end. So if our orders aren't slowing down and we're not able to build up capacity all the way up the supply chain, we're not going to get much better off. Um, but, you know, kind of looking at the next 12 to 18 months, I'm in Michigan, so maybe I'm a little biased. October rolls around, people stop going outside as much. They spend more time indoors. And all of a sudden, those home renovation projects start picking back up a little bit because you can't leave. So right as we're supposed to be maybe getting a little bit more capacity built up, we're increasing demand, especially in the colder parts of the country. Then we're going to get back into spring where things maybe slow down. Hopefully, our capacity increases a little bit. But just looking at the way things tend to play out in a normal year and then compounding that with all of the COVID and climate and um, even political issues we've been having recently, I really don't see things getting back to a pre-COVID level in the next you know, 12 to 18 months. I think we're going to be struggling along in a lot of ways um, for quite a while. I think one thing we haven't talked about is um, project work. So I don't know how many of you have been um, or close to like big cities or walked around the big cities and, and looked up. There's a lot of buildings that have stopped construction. Um, and I think part of it is supply chain, um, hotels too with hospitality, kind of everyone stopped. And now it's starting to pick back up. And I think if we look at our crystal ball for... Um, multi-unit residential hospitality we're looking like real strong for the next two years because they're all starting to pick back up that'll be interesting to see how companies right businesses change their policies about you know work remote versus back in the office seems to be a lot of dynamics about that that'll have to sort itself out on the commercial side here in the next 12 to 18 months That'll be really interesting. Um, I'm I'm very interested interested to see what happens with the work from home and if people start to go back in. I know New York City has opened back up. Um, I have a, a friend who um, works uh, as a lawyer in the city, she works for the city, and they just a couple weeks ago went back in person after over a year, and they're in their individual offices, not talking to anybody, but still in person. <laughs> um, but it's just interesting to see like what what's happening as cities open back up and, and people are going back into offices. So that's that's the one thing that just plugging where I'm from. I mean, the city of Detroit went through a lack of office users for the better part of three decades, four decades. So we're looking at this now when I think a lot of projects are being reframed where it's not just a purely profit motive. It's not a real estate developer looking to make money on just a hotel or doing something you know, purely profit driven. It's what's the message behind it? What type of experience are you trying to create? Um, you know, I, my background's in urban planning. So you look at the things that happen in the city of Detroit and a lot of other cities, and it's about giving people my age the 
work experience that goes beyond sitting in a cubicle. It's being able to walk to a restaurant for lunch or take your laptop out into a park. Um, that's, you can't replace that. You can't replicate that at home. So, you know, a lot of employers in the city of Detroit are going back to the office and restaurants are reopening because there's more to, there's more to work than work. So we'll see what happens. That's great. Well, that's an awesome way to end this conversation. Todd, Andrew, Tracy, thank you guys so much for joining us. Everyone, thank you for joining us as well. This is being recorded and it will be available for DPHA members on the members only side of our website. Stay tuned for a podcast version of this that we'll share on our social media. Um, if you are not a DPHA member and are wondering what we're all about, please feel free to contact me, Kimberly at DPHA.net. That's K-Y-M-B-E-R-L-Y at DPHA.net. And thank you all for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful day. If you would like to present in the future or inquire about membership or sponsorship, please visit DPHA.net today.